You are listening to the Impact Church Podcast. To learn more about Impact Church, visit us online at impactharlem.org. You can also check us out on social media. Man, it's good to be back with you. Uh, what we're gonna, what we're gonna do today is we're just gonna jump right into a brand new series. And the series is called Filters. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at how deceptive temptation is and how it filters sin and makes it look like something it's really not. So I'm gonna ask you to do something for me this morning. I'm gonna ask you to be as attentive as you can be because this topic is serious. I loved worship. I love praising God. We're free because of Him, but we still have to choose to live in the freedom. And we have temptation all around us, and we have sin that just abounds, not just in our life, but in our world. And we have decisions that we have to make every single day. How many of you have ever used a Snapchat or Instagram or some type of filter? Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand. Ashley, raise your hand. <laughs> so I'm, a, this, I'm afraid of something. If you, don't, if you don't know about Snapchat filters, there's this one popular one where it like takes all the wrinkles away from your face and it adds some little flowers to your head and girls love it. So what I'm afraid is that people that are meeting on Snapchat, when they meet in person, man, they don't even know each other. And I... I think, because this is what I would have done, is if I see this pretty girl that was pretty in the filter, and then she's not the same type of pretty, I'm probably going to keep walking. So there's probably some hearts that have been broken because of these filters. I want to show you some pictures really quick, just to give you an idea of how filters work. So this is just beautiful nature of some sort yeah so what's the original picture look like yeah that's a huge difference all right so this is one of my favorite ones the girl flying through there what's the original All right. Man, that's really cute. My girls would not do that. Original. All right. Yeah, so I don't know what this is. It looks kind of like some type of body of water with some rocks. And the original is like a counter in the windowsill or something. Man, that's that reminds me of me and Ashley's wedding pictures. What's the original? Yeah, so that's more that's more like it. <laughs> All right. So this one's really cool. So this is just a bunch of little somethings. Wait till you see the original of this. So it's M&M's. That's pretty. Yeah. And this is my favorite one. Baby kind of flying, bouncing through the air. 
Yeah, so this is just an idea of how people cover stuff up to make it look better than it really is. And these were all photography, but there's filters that literally you can put over anything to make it look different and oftentimes better. And that's just the world that we live in. We live in a world full of filters. And this morning, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Again, I want us to really dig into how temptation deceives us and how temptation makes sin look like something that it's not. And there's no better place to me than to go back to Genesis 3 where we see the first sin take place. And I want to give you a quick quick little backstory of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Okay, really quick. So there's this, there's this book I have that it explains or summarizes each chapter of the Bible in less than 140 words. That's really hard to do. But I like it because it gives you a snapshot. So Genesis 1, God created the heavens, the earth, everything that lives. He made man in his image and he gave them charge over the earth. In Genesis 2, we see in more detail of how he created man. How he formed man. He placed man in the Garden of Eden and he gave man dominion. But he also directed man not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good, good and evil. That's it. He could have everything else. He saw that Adam was alone, so he created a partner who we know as a woman, who we know as Eve. Okay, so that's chapter 2. And that gets us to chapter 3. And we're just going to read verses 1 through 8. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So I want to break this down a little bit and just really look at how temptation is so deceptive. But let's pray. God, I just pray that you, you bless our time together. God, that you speak directly into hearts through your spirit. God, that we can truly see what it is you want us to see about temptation and sin and that we can begin to, to make a shift in our lives personally. May we give you the honor and the glory for that already. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me break down verse 1 just a little bit. Verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more crafty. Right? So we, we look at the serpent, and people say, Hey, you know what? The serpent was Satan. Or some people say the serpent wasn't Satan. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you biblical evidence that Satan used the serpent to tempt Eve. Okay, so in Revelation, chapter 12, verse 9 says this, And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, which some manuscripts say the serpent of old, 
who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So we see that here Satan is called the serpent of old, the ancient serpent, the serpent who was there at the beginning to tempt Eve. And we see throughout Scripture that Satan embodied somebody or something multiple times. And in Ezekiel chapter 28, we see this in King Tyra. He he embodies him and God speaks directly to Satan. So it would seem like God was speaking directly to the king, but because Satan is embodying him, God is speaking directly to Satan. So we see that Satan embodies things, embodies people. He's a spirit. So he gets inside and he uses things. So he used the serpent here. It says that Satan was crafty. He was cunning. He was smooth. I like to say that he is attractive. He was an angel. Again, in that same passage in Ezekiel, we see that he was more than likely a worship leader in heaven. But he wanted to be greater than God, which, man, that sounds just like worship leaders. They always want to be in the spotlight. Um, I'm just kidding, man. Andrew and Logan are amazing. They're great. But this is, this is what happened. So Satan is using the serpent to tempt Eve. Now, I know that when we see snakes, I don't like snakes. Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I'm not even going to try to be all manly and tell you that I'm okay with snakes. I'm not. I don't like them. Our neighbor asked me a couple weeks ago. She was like yelling at me. Uh, I was in the backyard, and she was like, hey, come and kill this snake for me. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, probably going to get Ashley. So um, I did go inside and get Ashley. However, I killed the snake. Round of applause would be, yeah. Um, so we see that t- uh, Satan tempted the woman here. So there's a lot of questions of why he tempted the woman and not the man. So there's, I'm going to just give you some opinions about that from from some theologians that study Scripture, that know Scripture way more uh, than I do. But some say because maybe she was by herself and she was just vulnerable at that time. Some say because the command was given directly to Adam not to eat of that particular tree. And then it was up to him to communicate that to his wife. So as a man, as a husband, you know how that could go. Our communication is not always the best. And the reason that he chose the woman isn't important in this context. What's important in this context is how he tempted her. Because he continues to use the same tricks, the same craftiness to dress up sin and to use temptation against us today. So if you're taking notes, number one is this. This is, this is three ways that temptation deceives us. Number one is it distorts God's word. The first foothold that Satan got was to get Eve to question the Word of God. That was the first foothold that he got. So if we go back to verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So all of a sudden, the first thing that the enemy does is tries to get Eve to question God's word. 
to begin to distort it. But he doesn't have to distort it. I'm going to show you that Eve distorts God's word herself. So once the enemy gets you thinking about, man, did God really say this? Is this really what God said? Is this really what God wants? Then we begin to distort his word on our own. Let's see how Eve did that. She took, she added to the command of God, okay, and she subtracted. So let's look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17. This is the command. So I keep saying the command. I want to read you the command from Scripture. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So Eve added to this command, if we look at verse 3, Eve, for some reason, she says, God told us we couldn't eat and we couldn't touch it. And God's command never said anything about not touching the tree. So she begins to question God's word, and then she herself begins to distort what the command was. The command was, hey, don't eat of this tree or you shall surely die. And she says, hey, yeah, he told us we could eat of any tree except this one in the midst of the garden, and we can't touch it lest we die. So not only did she add to the command, she subtracted from the penalty of the command. So in verse 3, we see this. She says, lest you shall die. When God's command was more emphatic, he said, you shall surely die. Man, some of you are like, yeah, I don't, I don't really do this, so... I'm okay. I don't distort the Word of God. If He says it, I believe it. I'm doing it. How many of you said you don't have to raise your hand? Listen, Satan, the enemy, temptation, it begins to get you questioning God's Word and then we ourselves begin to distort it. And not only does it distort God's Word, but it denies God's Word. Satan tries to get Eve to forget the goodness of of God and the badness of sin. So first, he gets her to question God's word. Secondly, he gets her to question God's character. He says, hey, you know, if if you eat of this, you're not going to die. God just knows that you're going to be like him. So Satan says, so God's not as great as he says he is, and man is more than you think he is. So he brings down the amazingness, supremacy of God, and he elevates man. And we may not do that purposefully, but how often do we make decisions that look like, man, I know more than God. Or what I care about is greater than what God cares about. Because temptation begins to deny the Word of God and say, hey, just because the Word of God says it doesn't make it real. He gets Eve and he tries to get us today to view God and His Word as a viewpoint instead of the truth. He says, yeah, you know what? It is a moral compass, but it's not the only compass. And temptation begins to make us deny the truth of God's Word. And he does this. People think that Satan just lies all the time. He just lies, he lies, he lies. I want you to look at verse 5. Verse 5 is 
to me, one of the most important verses in this passage. The enemy says this, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here we see that the temptation contains some truth. He says, hey, you know when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. 100% true. When they, eat, when they eat of this fruit, even God told them, hey, don't do this. Satan says, your eyes are going to be opened if you do it. That's the truth. So he sprinkles truth into the temptation to get us to kind of grab onto it and hold onto it and say, hey, there's a little bit of truth here, so the rest of this must be okay. He filters sin with some truth, but not very much. He's smart. He's crafty. If it was all lies, we would know. Man, that, we could throw that away easily. But he begins to sprinkle truth into the temptation so that we start believing it and start denying the real truth of God's Word. And sin is often described as something good and appealing. That's, that's what it seems like. And I'm not a big... Uh, Snow White fan, but I believe that she was poisoned. Is that correct? Okay, y'all can, we can have a, yeah, okay. Um, she was poisoned with an apple. Is that correct? So the apple looks good and appealing. It's, it's a nice, red, ripe, juicy, filling apple. Until it's not. Until it poisons you. Until it kills you. Until it destroys you. And that's what temptation does to sin. It covers up the real deal. We think that, oh man, Tony Evans said this. He said, why does a fisherman put a worm on a hook? To hide the real deal. It's not about the worm. The worm is the attraction. The real deal from the fisherman's standpoint is the hook. But a fish is not going to swim toward a hook. Fish are dumb, but they're not crazy. It won't head for a hook, but it will swim toward a worm, not understanding that the worm is covering the real deal. Temptation filters sin to a point that we just go after it. And boom, we're hooked. We've began to distort the Word of God. We've, we've started to deny the truth of the Word of God. And then number three is this. Temptation defies the Word of God. Let's look at 1 John 2.16. It says, For all that is in the world, everything, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what I want to do is I want to look back at Genesis 3, and I want to point out these three things. So here John says that the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. And I want to see how those three things play out here in this passage. So we see that the desires of the flesh, we see that Eve, it says that she saw that the tree was good for food. So it was going to be something good for her flesh. It was going to make her feel good. It was going to taste good. I know that we, we don't struggle with this in this room, how to impact. Desi desires of the eyes is number two. It says that it was a delight to the eyes. It's pretty simple. 
And in the pride of life, we see that Eve looked on the, looked at this and said, it would make me wise, to make one wise. So all three things are at play here. Flesh, sight, and the pride of life. Our flesh, our, our eyes, our sight, and just our pride, the way that it could really boost us up. And once we, we're about to dig in pretty deep, guys. Once we begin to distort God's word, and we begin to deny the truth of it, then defiance is logically the next step. We fall into sin. So why does any of this matter? What does it mean for us and how does it look? So I'm going to give you some examples. And this is where I really want you to pay attention. Because I'm going to give you some practical ways that we do this in our own lives. In Matthew 15, 19, now I could pick a ton of sin to use, but I'm only going to use this one verse because it points out a few different sins and I'm just going to go through the list. Matthew 15, 19 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So we're going to go backwards and we're going to talk about lying and false witness first. So what does God's Word say? So what's the command? Colossians 3, 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Ephesians 4, 25 says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Proverbs 19.5, this gives you the result of lying. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. So here's God's word. Don't lie, speak truth, liars will be punished. The word of God, it's clear. How do we distort that? Because we say, hey, you know what? Well, lying makes sense sometimes. Uh, when my wife asked me if she looks fat in that shirt, I think a lie would probably work a little better in this circumstance because it's going to keep her from murder. So really, let's weigh the sins and we begin to distort what God's word really says. We say, well, you know what? God didn't say I couldn't tell this little white lie. He just doesn't want me to, to tell big lies because big lies are worse than little lies. And that's that's what we begin to believe when we begin to distort the Word of God. We say, hey, everyone does it. Everyone lies. Everyone is a little dishonest. God just wants you to be careful and not do it too much. We begin to distort the Word of God. And then we begin to deny God's Word. We say, you know what? It's not that bad. I'm not killing anybody. I'm not beating anybody up. And you know what? It kind of helps us save face a little bit in some situations. It helps us escape some trouble. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. We defy God's Word. And then we see adultery and sexual immorality. What does God's Word say? There's a ton of it. I'm just going to give you a couple verses. Matthew 5, 27 and 28. Say, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says flee from sexual immorality. So what does God's word say? It says don't commit adultery. If you lust, you've committed adultery in your heart and just flee from sexual immorality. That's the command. That's the word of God. How do we distort it? We begin to put a definition to it ourselves. Well, adultery is just sex outside of marriage. So anything less of that 
I'm okay because that's what adultery is. And lust is common. Everybody's going to do it. So God can't expect us not to do it, just not to do it a lot. We begin to distort the Word of God. Hey, if we don't go all the way, then we're okay because we haven't really reached the point that God tells us not to reach when in fact He says lust in itself is adultery in your heart. How do we deny that? And I've been here in my life. We say, you know what? Fleeing from sexual immorality is impossible. Like, I can't do it. I'm a human. You can't do it. It's impossible. God can't expect us to do this. And again, as long as I don't go all the way, I'm okay. I can watch whatever I want to watch. I can look at whatever I want to look at. And as long as that's where it stops, I'm good. And you know what? Anyway, I could do that without lustful thoughts. Anyway, we begin to deny the Word of God. And then we begin to defy it by saying, hey, one time won't hurt. Let me just give in one time. It won't hurt, and I'll never do it again. Everyone else is doing it anyway. Nobody's pure. So I'm just going to do it this one time. God understands the desires of my flesh. Like He knows how hard it is to be a human. So I'm just going to do this. One time, I'll never do it again. And then we see murder and evil thoughts. God's Word says, James 2.11, For who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. First John 3.15 says, Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So God's Word says don't commit murder. If you hate someone, you've committed murder. And if you're a murderer, then eternal life isn't within you. That's the Word of God. That's God's command. How do we distort it? Man, I would never take somebody's life. That's horrible. I would never do that. And I don't hate anyone. I just don't really like some people. And the Word of God doesn't say I can't like somebody. It just says to love people. I love everybody. Don't really like them. I love them. And then we begin to deny the Word of God. We say, hey, there's no way that I can treat everybody the same. There's no way that I can love everybody. I have to show partiality. There's just no way. This person doesn't even deserve respect. This person doesn't even deserve love, so why should I love them? And then we begin to deny God's Word and we say, hey, He deserves to be treated poorly. He deserves it. She doesn't deserve to be loved. I'm not going to love her. And we begin to dislike and we begin to hate when the Word of God says to love. And we begin to defy God's Word. And this is how it starts. And these are just practical steps. I really hope, I really hope that you, that you can get this. Look at this. Verses 7 and 8, one more time. Genesis 3. I want you to see what happens after the sin. Genesis 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. Listen, their, the immediate result of their sin was far different than their fantasy. 
Oh yeah, their eyes were open. Their eyes were open. And they realized their sin and their shame. It's, it's as if you tell a, a person that can't hear, a deaf person, that you, you give them a promise that one day, very soon, they'll be able to hear again. And that day comes and all they can hear is screaming for the rest of their life. So temptation sprinkles in some truth. Your eyes will be open. What it doesn't tell you is when your eyes are open, you're going to see your sin. When your eyes are open, you're going to feel the, the weight of the guilt and the shame. Man, the reality is far different than the fantasy. The original is far different than the filter. And this is what temptation does to us. Oh man, it may filter sin with hope, happiness, fun, promise, but it always disappoints. If we don't realize the scheme of the enemy, we're bound to fall over and over and over. And I want to close really quickly with this. Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. And Ephesians chapter 4 we are warned not to give the devil an opportunity. It says don't even give the devil a chance. All he needs is a sliver of a chance to begin to filter temptation, to begin to filter the sin, to begin the deception in our lives. All he needs is a sliver of a chance. Charles Spurgeon, man, he, he writes some good stuff. I want to read this to you. Oh man, this is good. Notice very carefully that sin has a hardening power over the heart. How does that come about? Partly through our familiarity with sin. We may look at hateful sin until we love it. Familiarity with sin makes the conscious dull and at length the dead insensibility. I want to read this one part again. We may look at hateful sin until we love it. Here's the thing. Once we begin to distort the Word of God and we begin to, to add things to it and to take things away from it to fit whatever circumstance we're in, to fit the, the moment that we're in, we begin to, to change things. We begin to distort it. And then we begin to, de to deny the truth. Because we know that what he says is the truth, but we begin to deny it because we've already started to question the word. Now we're questioning the character of God. Does he really love me like he says he loves me? Why is he telling me not to do this or to do this or to follow him or to love people? Doesn't he know that I can't do it? Absolutely he knows that you can't do it. But he knows that he can and He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to take your place on a cross. He sent the Holy Spirit as a helper to you, as a Christ follower, to say, I know you can't do it, but that's why I'm here. I know this temptation is, is looking good. It's making sin look really, really pleasurable and really, really good. And then we begin to defy God's Word. We begin to sin. 
and we sin and we sin and we sin and we sin. And Charles Spurgeon says, we may look at hateful sin until we love it. breaks my heart that we have the audacity to look at hatefulness to look at sin until it becomes something that we don't even care about we can live a life apart from God out of his will because we care about how we feel because we think that we know more that we're better that we're smarter that we have the answer. We want to be in control. And B.H. Carroll told a story of a, of a lady that decided to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Pretty simple story. She has been getting up about 9, but she wanted to get up a little earlier. So she went out and bought an, bought an alarm clock. She set it for 6 o'clock. The next morning came, the alarm clock rings, and when she hears it, she gets up. The next morning, it rings again at 6 o'clock, and she kind of lays there a little bit. Then she hits the alarm, and she gets up. The following morning, it goes off at 6 o'clock, and she kind of lays there a little bit again, and then she falls back asleep. And the alarm never disturbed her again. And B.H. Carroll says this, Whoever disregards an alarm soon quits hearing it. Whoever disregards an alarm soon quits hearing it. So I'm here to tell you this morning, this is your alarm. This is it. Man, the alarm is going off. The Holy Spirit is speaking in the hearts. We have to take sin seriously. And this is your alarm. The more that you ignore it, the less you're going to hear it. Man, you have to answer a question this morning. Do you want to live the life that God has for you? And if I ask you that on the surface, the surface, everybody wants to live the life that God has for you. But are you willing to sacrifice your life, to lay your life down daily, or does the, the filter of temptation, the deception of temptation, continue to lure you into sin each and every day? And I'm not here to shame you. I just want you to know the truth. And this morning, I'm gonna ask you to I'm gonna ask you to, to stand with me with your eyes closed. And I'm just gonna ask you a couple questions, and I just want to pray for you. I just want to, I want you to really be honest. I asked you at the very beginning to just really be attentive and allow the, the Spirit to really just work. So no one looking around, I want to ask you some, some questions this morning. How many of you would say, I, I, don't even, I don't even know if I have a relationship with God at all. You're talking about temptation and sin and what God's Word says and then that sounds good and I've heard it before, but I'm not sure I've ever started a relationship with Jesus. If that's you this morning, will you just raise your hand so I can pray for you? 
All right. How many of you would say, man, I'm struggling with a specific sin right now in my life? There's there's just some some things that, yeah, maybe I began to distort the Word of God or just deny it or I'm in defiance of it. I'm just sinning. Will you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. How many of you would say, man, I'm ready. I'm ready to live the life that God has called me to live. Whatever that means, whatever step that means I need to take, I'm willing to take that step today. If that's you this morning, will you raise your hand? Thank you. God, I come to you, Lord. God, I'm praying for the ones that don't have a relationship with you this morning. God, more importantly than all things, God, I pray for salvation to take place in this room. God, I pray that people who are dead in their sin become alive in you. God, and I pray that, man, they have a testimony. And the testimony is that your grace is sufficient. God, I pray for the ones struggling with specific sin this morning. God, I pray that they understand the the scheme of the enemy and they begin to to say, I'm not going to distort the Word of God. Whatever God's Word says about it, I know that's truth. I know His character is pure and holy. And He came to give me life and to give me life to the fullest. God, I pray for everyone that wants to begin to live the life you've called them to live. God, I pray that you reveal to them their next step. God, they take that next step. And we as a community of believers take those next steps of faith together. God, that we hold each other up. That we encourage one another. That we hold each other accountable. That we bear one another's burdens as we see in Galatians 6. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the opportunity to meet together again in person. We love you. We thank you for who you are. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast. For this and other messages, visit us online at impactharlem.org. In the meantime, you can subscribe to this podcast, rate and review it on iTunes, and share it with your friends on social media. Once again, thanks for joining us at the Impact Church Podcast.